Melissa Bonzak, author of the June Nash Adventure Series, and when I'm not writing, I'm reading. I started this show to rave about new discoveries, chat with indie and small publishing house authors, and occasionally share from my works in progress. This is Books Cubed, interviews, raves, and reads. Good adventures, everyone. Welcome to episode 15 of Books Cubed. I have a special guest this week. My daughter, Cody, joins me as we reminisce about my friend, James Gratton, who we lost in April of 2016 to suicide. We're going to be talking about James' collection of essays, which was titled is titled Notes from an Aging Insomniac. It's a collection of wonderful essays, thought-provoking, funny, scathing. Uh, I think you'll really enjoy it. I will have links in the show notes and I'm going to read one of the essays to you. And we've got a couple of um, memories uh, from friends uh, that uh, we'll be reading on the show. Uh, James was, um, he was a great guy. He was the kind of person that when you saw him from across the room, you knew you wanted to be his friend. And after he died, we uh, spent several weeks, uh, friends of his, uh, uh, emailing each other and um, sharing our memories and almost every single memory started with I saw James and I knew I needed to be his friend and he made you feel like you were the most important person in the world he was just a wonderful giving great guy now of course he had his flaws and he could be a real you know make me nuts and I'm sure everybody else has has times when he made them crazy but in the end and when it came down to it he was just a great great guy that depression got the best of uh so i'm going to just quickly read his his um uh biography that he's got on the back it's like two lines james gratton lives alone in key west florida along with his 61 diana ross cds he's currently working on his first novel which unfortunately he never finished and um, I think our friend Christine, correct me if I'm wrong, Christine, are you finishing his book? I was thinking that she was. James and I also had a series that we had outlined, the first book, and um, I will write it one day when I can sit down and start without melting into tears. I mean, right now I'm just, I can feel it building as I think about it. A um, little bit more time and I'll be able to do that. Uh, he... Uh, uh, well, my daughter and I were just going to jump right into it, so um, we'll get right to it, and I will see you at the end. Good adventures, everybody. Welcome to episode 15 of Books Cubed, and I've got my special guest with me today. This is my daughter, Cody, and uh, we were going to have the show up uh, up today, but we've been doing things and fishing and going to the beach and all kinds of things, and so... <laughs> We have been um, distracted, and we didn't get a chance to uh, get the recording in. But would you like to say hello, Cody, because this is also a podcast, so the people listening on the podcast can't see you, but they could hear you. Hi, I'm Cody. I'm Melissa's daughter. And for those of you on the podcast, I'm super awesome and super hot and super fun. Yeah. <laughs> super. Okay. So mm -hmm. yeah. today... Mm -hmm. yep. um, Today, uh, we are remembering a very good friend named James, and he was a writer, and um, James and I met in Key West, and um, he wrote essays, and uh, when, I, when I heard, we were in a writing guild together, and that's how we met, and when I heard him read the first time, it was just, 
it was a wonderful piece about New York where he used to live and it was just wonderful. And James was the kind of person that you saw him from across the room and he had such an energy that you knew you had to get to know him and you wanted him to be your best friend. And after he died, uh, several of us um, began communicating on uh, email and uh, commiserating uh, about our loss. And the one thing, the one constant in every single, um, in every single memory was that they saw James and they knew that he had to be their best friend mm -hmm. or they had to be his best friend. And he was just that kind of person. He was wonderful and he was sweet. He was sarcastic and he was funny, but he could be a son of a bitch and he could be annoying as hell. And he, if you crossed him, he burned that bridge with you and that was it. Uh, but if you crossed him, you were a bad person. The good people never were bad to James, ever. And the, the people that, that he was friends with uh, from all walks of life, who just felt like he was their best friend from the first time they met him. He was just so wonderful. Yeah, he just had this amazing energy about him. He was a passionate individual. I didn't get to know him that well. I met him like what? Maybe once when he was dog <laughs> Maybe, sitting but, but he, he talked about you a lot and he met Cody. Oh my God, Cody's so hot. He met my son. Oh my God, your son's so hot. He met my husband. Oh my God, your husband's so hot. And Melissa, oh my God, you're so hot. <laughs> Everybody was so hot. <laughs> so uh, we've, got, um, we've got some story. Before we read from his book, we've got a couple of memories um, that we got from friends. Yeah. Who they want. Do you want to read this one? This is from our friend Lisa. Okay. All right. She starts off with, here you go. And it was November 2015 in Key West when I met James. It was the most memorable first meetings of my entire life. I was participating in the local NaNoWriMo month, monthly write-in at the Florida Keys Community College Writing Center. After some generic instructions by our mutual friend, Christina, who is running the event, and learning that we had another mutual friend, Melissa, who now lived out of state, we started exchanging stories about a local writer's guild that we had all been a part of at different times. I began telling a story and, having just met him, prepared him for some foul language. He took his hands from his keyboard and folded them on the desk and then stared at me seriously, nodding at the appropriate moments. When I got to the curse word that I had warned him of, he unexpectedly and dramatically threw himself out of the chair onto the floor, feigning utter shock at my language. The faces of the other writers in the room were priceless. And as he pulled himself back into his chair and smoothed his hair and shirt, I laughed and I knew that I liked him immediately. Yeah, he, uh, he, he liked the dramatic. <laughs> yeah. Um, I remember going grocery shopping with him one time and he wore a top hat and suspenders. <laughs> and I had very mm -hmm. pink hair at the time. So as we're walking up, in the, up and down the aisles of Winn-Dixie or Publix, it's Publix, we got the strangest stares and we just ignored everybody. Okay, we have got another reading from Rick. 
Okay. In the book, there's a chapter called, um, let me find it. <clears throat> the chapter's called Madonna and Madonna and Child. So yeah, this th is, this is from James's collection of essays, notes from an aging insomniac. Yeah. So he had written the story and Rick is in the story and, um, we don't want to read the whole story because we've got a couple other ones we're going to read, but we want to read Rick's response, which I think is pretty funny and, and um, says a lot about Jim. So do you want to read this one? Sure. Okay. In chapter 12 of Jim's book, Notes from an Aging Insomniac, he talks about a very famous night in our lives. It's a night that changed my life forever, all because of Jim and his powerful Madonna felt words. The night for me actually starts in the late afternoon when I call Gary, the boy, my boyfriend at the time, only three weeks, to see if he wants to go see a movie. And Gary responds with, I'm too upset my boyfriend is moving to California tomorrow, I can't go out. My response, I'm right here, I'm not going anywhere. And Gary said, no, my real boyfriend, the one I'm living with. And needless to say, I was heartbroken. I was 27 at the time, so I was a little overdramatic in my world. I called Jim to tell him what transpired with Gary. And Jim said, get over here, let's go out. You've only been dating him three weeks. It couldn't have been that serious. And think about it, you were the other guy. So I get to Jim's. And he's ready to go out in his go out uniform, black leather jacket, bike shorts, white tank top and combat boots. Could never understand dancing in those, but he could. And he looked gorgeous as ever, his eyes just piercing. Yes, I did have a huge crush on Jim. For me, I was in jean cutoff short shorts, showing off my legs and a tank top and my signature baseball hat. And off we went to Private Eyes, a nightclub that I worked at back in 85, 86. Still had door, uh, still had door privileges to get in for free and free run of the place. But back to chapter 12. Madonna's Express Yourself comes on. The screen drops. The video begins to play. We all know the opening words of that song. As Jim described it, we rushed to the dance floor. And we probably did knock a few people out of the way. But we got our perfect place on the floor to dance, sing, show off, be our crazy, giddy selves to this Madonna song. And about a quarter of the way through the first course, I see Gary across the dance floor and he sees me and Jim notices my eyes going wide and he asks what's wrong and I tell him that Gary's here and Jim in all of his Jim glory looks at me and replies oh no and by that time Jerry has made it Gary has made it over to where we are and asks me if we could talk and Jim turns around to him and blasts off, you may not speak to him, you broke my friend's heart tonight, he is here with me, go back to your boyfriend, it is boys night and you are not invited. And Gary looked at me and I said, you heard what he said, go back to your boyfriend. And he stood there for what seemed like forever and I myself was so empowered by the fact that Jim stood up for me, 
called me his best friend because if I was there by myself, I would have crumbled, whined, and pined for Gary. So I turned to Jim, hugged him, and thanked him. And then he looked at me right in the eyes with those piercing swoon eyes and proclaimed, this is your song. This will always be your song. Listen to the lyrics. You do not deserve second best. You are the best, Rick, and you deserve the best. And to this day, Express Yourself is still one of my favorite Madonna songs. And it's all because of this strikingly beautiful best friend, Jim Gratton. He verbally willed this to me on the dance floor of Private Eyes. And later that night, Jim told me he was going to the bathroom. After about half an hour, I, re I realized he was nowhere to be found. That's when I started learning that this was Jim's way of saying goodnight. <laughs> I went to the into the private eye's office and called Jim. He picked up and I could hear Diana Ross in the background. And I asked, what are you doing? Listening to Miss Ross, I'm coming over. So I got to his place on Bleecker Street and we danced and sang to express yourself quite a few times so I could remember these exact words. Before there was Carrie, Samantha, Miranda, and Charlotte. Before there was Christina and Meredith in my world. There was Jim and Rick. Jim was my person. He, was, he has always been at the other end of the phone making me laugh. He loved reminiscing about our New York days. He always talked about how proud he was of me every time he was in class when I was up on stage teaching the aerobics routines. He loved to heckle me and ask me to play Diana Ross. And sometimes I would pull out chain reaction, which would make him squeal like a little boy. <laughs> Thank you, Jim, for picking me up, dusting me off, and saving my life back in 1988 when we first met. Thank you, Jim, for always being there, for being that friend and being you, which sometimes could have been a lot of different characters. Friend to friend, I love you forever, Jim. Thank you so much, Rick, for sending that. Um, <clears throat> if you get James' book, which I'll have a link to in the show notes, um, the essay Madonna and Child is in there. And um, we want to read a little bit um, from his book. Um, <laughs> He had written these essays, and um, at the time, I was just starting. I had been a screenwriter, and I was just getting into novel writing. And I said to him, you absolutely have to put these books into essay form, and we really need to have them out there so the public can read them mm -hmm. and enjoy them. So um, we had just gotten this book together, and he was in the process of putting another book together. He had a novel he was writing. And he and I were working on a book series together. We had the first book outlined. Um, <clears throat> I think he had one page he wrote, and I wrote one page, and that was it. So I've sat down a couple times trying to work on it, and it just leaves me in tears. So I will work on that one eventually, um, when there's still some tears left, because it, it'll, it'll work into the book, and, and that'll be good. Mm -hmm. um, but, but there's so much of just he and I in the book and the one that we were working on that it'll go out there too. Uh, but his writing is just um, wonderful. I want to read um, 
hopefully I'm not looking down too much. We'll see. Can you hold this like this and then we sure. can change pages, turn pages? Yeah. Okay. So this essay is called My Date with Walter Mitty. He checked into the nautical miles in by himself on a Sunday, Thursday afternoon. It was late into my shift and he was the last check-in expected for the sold-out weekend. Tall and serious, he caught my eye in a way that no one had in a long time. How strange to be reminded of a heart that hadn't been beating. He said he was in Key West to attend his buddy from high school's wedding. He said he was from New York, and we talked about the city. He said he thought I was funny. He talked about Alaska, and he said he felt the most comfortable when he was with his dogs. Me too. We talked about the island. He asked me if I had a boyfriend. He told me he liked the music I was playing in the lobby of the inn, and he told me I thought I was funny, again. He seemed nervous. Me too. Matters of the heart have always eluded me, but why after all this time was I having trouble with this conversation? Why was I so uncomfortable? Why didn't I believe in this moment? Years ago, I used to believe in these moments, that moments like this were real, that moments could lead to the next, that the lyrics to a love song were more than just lyrics, and that someone, anyone, would want to know me. He attended the wedding the next day by himself, and he came back early because he said he was bored and he'd rather talk to me. I felt embarrassed and more responsive than, and more responsive than I was being comfortable, comfortable being. He said he didn't believe in love anymore and that she'd broken his heart that sometimes he thinks that it's just better to let it go. I didn't think he believed what he was saying. I suspected that people who say that they don't believe in love really want to be convinced otherwise or they wouldn't say it. He asked me why I was single. I told him I hadn't heard, hadn't heard anyone use that word since they canceled Love American Style. We both laughed. Then I told him I wasn't good at love and that I had taken myself out of the game years ago that I didn't believe that love was possible for me and that it was just better for me to just let it go. Later that night, when I'd, left, when I'd left him at the inn, I realized that I really hadn't left him at the inn, that our conversation had stayed with me and that the possibility of something more was enough to carry me through the night. How silly I felt. Was it possible after all this time that I could actually remember how to connect, that somewhere inside me, someone I forgot I used to be, that beyond the memories I tried to forget was the man I was before I became the person I am. Do we spend so much time alone that it's almost impossible to find our way back, to connect, to come home? Perhaps it's just easier to hope than to expect. The morning after, he said he, he wouldn't forget me and that I should email him. You have my telephone number, he said. I smiled at him as we waited for his taxi outside the nautical miles in. Laughing to myself, I resisted the urge to quote Streisand at the end of The Way We Were when she and Robert Redford were outside the plaza and she said, your girl is lovely, Hubble. He asked me what was so funny, but I shook my head and smiled at the cliche of a Barbara Streisand quote, awkward silence. He said, maybe you'll get to New York soon. Maybe, which really meant no. The taxi came, and while we were loading his luggage into the trunk of the car, I no longer felt self-conscious. I understood goodbyes. I recognized them. And as the taxi pulled away, I headed back into the inn. I didn't turn around. I didn't watch the taxi drive away. 
Closing the door behind me, I noticed how quiet it was at the end. I stood off in the lobby by the door to his room, where we'd been. Maybe I felt a little sad, and maybe I chose not to think about it. And then I thought about New York. And then I thought about Alaska. And then I thought about the lyrics to the songs I used to like. And I wondered if things would ever be different. And that's one of my favorite ones in the book. And um, uh, let's see. And then I hate to end on sadness. Let's see. Oh, it's at 28 minutes already. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I hate to end on sadness, but there's so many good ones in here. There's a lovely story about his greyhounds, uh, not greyhound, excuse me. I had the greyhound about his great Dane Saybrook, um, who was with him for years and years, maybe 10. Uh, I've forgotten now about how it was at the end with her. And, and it just and reminiscing about all the times that they, that they had together. Yeah. And, and there's just funny stories in here and there's little bits. Um, oh, let's see. Does anyone else think Rick Scott of Florida looks like he should be wearing black Nikes and waiting for a spaceship to come collect him and his followers? I'm not saying he's running a cult, but if he asks us to come to the pavilion and drink some Kool-Aid, I out of here. Um, so he's got a lot of, he's got a lot of stuff in here like that. So um, I highly recommend snarky. Yeah. I mean, he's funny. He was so funny. And I think it's, it'll be three years in April, maybe that since we've lost him. So, um, uh, yeah. we miss him a lot. We do. We miss him a lot. And, um, I, and I highly recommend his book. Take a look at it. Go on to uh, Amazon. I'll have links in the show notes and, um, and, uh, take a look and, um, you might find some essays that you like and you'll definitely find somebody interesting that you would have wanted to be friends with. So, um, I'm going to leave it there at that. And, uh, we're going to, um, end the show. And then go quiet, cry out. Uh, <laughs> maybe we'll drink. Oh, that's what we should have been doing all through this. We should have been oh, drinking. <laughs> toast to James. <laughs> James would have said, why aren't you drinking? Okay, one thing we forgot to talk about that I did mention in his bio was his love of Diana Ross. And uh, there are so many Diana Ross stories. I think that he probably saw her in concert. If he saw her less than 100 times, I would not be surprised. Um, it's probably dozens and dozens and dozens, and it might be a hundred times and it might not be that many, but it sure, it sure felt like that, you know? Um, and, uh, I, there are so many Diana Ross stories, but just one really quick one. And if you are a friend of James and I'm telling the story wrong, or if I'm leaving something out, please leave, uh, a message in the show notes, but it's been so many years since I've heard this, but off the top of my head, James was living in New York and he had a Diana Ross doll that he, you know, I'd go over to his house on Tuesdays and we would, we would brainstorm for our book and he would take his doll and she would, he would put her in a champagne glass and put her on the table between us next to the notebook. And I always kept the notes and she would watch me. And sometimes she would ask me questions and uh, it was a little intimidating at first, um, but it just got to be funny. And I would even say if, if she wasn't there, where's Diana? Why isn't she here yet? Go get her. I'll wait. So anyway, so he had, a, I guess it was a Christmas party. And I want to say that Diana was at the top of the tree. And Diana's daughter, Tracy, came to his party. I don't know how, I don't know why, but he had a lot of friends and a lot of walks of life. Uh, anyway, so she was at the party. 
and she was a little freaked out about seeing the doll because her mother had never let them have the doll or see the doll because she didn't want them to for whatever reason. So she was a little, she was very fascinated, I guess, by this doll. And he says that she was creeped out and, you know, as soon as she could, she ran like hell away from the party because he was this weird guy that had her mother's doll on his tree. Um, but I bet she was fascinated and, and that wasn't the case at all. So if you know the full story, go ahead and, like I said, leave a comment in the show notes and then I'll, I'll talk about it next week. I'll read them next week. So um, thank you for, for being here today and for listening to us talk about James. And, um, you know, I, I don't think about him every day because, you know, you can't say that you think about a person every day. Some people might, but I think about him so many days. And um, there's so many things that I want to say to him, but, you know, thanks for being with us today. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, go on, go on, read a good book, and I'll see you next week. Bye. <laughs>